Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a brand new and bonus edition of Freedom Books, Flowers in the Moon, the podcast brought to you every week by the Times Literary Supplement. My name is Stig Abel, the editor of the TLS, and joining me to celebrate the work of Mr. Lee Child, creator of the Jack Reacher novels, is Spectator Literary Editor and one of my favourite TLS contributors, Sam Leith. Sam has written an essay this week on why the Jack Reacher novels, one copy of which is sold allegedly every four seconds somewhere in the world, why are they so good? And Sam, this all started because of our feature on the best novelists currently writing today, and you decided to nominate Lee Child. Yes, he wasn't my only nomination, no. I should say, in my defence. Is but, that right? Um, I seem to remember him being your only nomination <laughs> in the no, 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 no. It was the end of a long list of okay. Nobel Prize candidates. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, did, I did think that there was a case to be made that within his genre, he's doing his best work, and it is you know, at very, very high level. The thing is... Do we even need to say within his genre? That seems to me an interesting question because is he not just writing... You know, there are no genres. There's just good books and bad books and he writes generally good books. Well, he does write good books. I mean, I think, I you know, the argument about genre and what literary fiction is and all the rest of it is one for another day and yeah. a longer podcast. But yeah. I think he writes books that work on a fairly sort of stripped down and simple level. I mean, you don't look to reach for profundity, you know, there's no reason that books have to be profound. I think, I mean, what's slightly annoying, of course, is that, you know, one puts in, well, I think Lee Charles doing great work because you think this is going to be something that people will go, <gasps> the lowbrow, the violator, you know. And unfortunately, you know, every writer you talk to practically says, you know, wants to be the one who's spotted Lee Child. And of course, you know, he's almost universally adored. Well, I by... reply with "I fucking love Lee Child." Exactly, exactly. Um, and it's it's you know it's it's like wanting to have seen you know Supergrass when there were still the Jennifers. You know, you yeah. want to be the one who's discovered him and he's who's you know breaking this secret on the world. And you're always you know the last. Well, the um, reason one of the reasons I commissioned the piece because I when I interviewed Philip Pullman about his books. We were sitting in his living room afterwards and I said, well, what books do you read? And he was telling he likes thrillers. And then he said out of nowhere, and I love Lee Child. And then he tweeted about it. And I said, well, um, he goes, no, he tweeted, the TLS should run a piece about why Lee Child is so, so good, which is why we've ended up here, Sam. It's it's being directed by by, uh, Philip Paul. So what is it? Let's try, because there's plenty of genre novels. There's plenty of sophisticated genre novels. 
and there have been for a hundred years. Why is this hitting a zeitgeist? Why is, got it to, so yeah, is, it, is it something about modernity that requires the existence of Jack Reacher? Well, I think he's. I mean, yes, Jack Reacher. Obviously, the, the character is central to it. You know, there are series novels, and they've got this this very attractive and compelling. Character. Explain who he is, because people might be listening. Okay, he's very... he's a former military policeman. And, uh, you know, as the books make clear, he's, being a military policeman means you're even tougher than all the people in the army because you're the person who kicks the asses of the people in the army who step out of line. So he's already super tough. He's, you know, completely sort of enormous. I mean, he's a Frankenstein's monster type character. There's yeah. somewhere in the books, is, I think his shoulder blades, his shoulders are described as resembling basketballs. And yeah, he's got, this... got a 6'5", 50-inch chest. His chest is so muscular, you say, that in one of the early novels it stops a bullet. Yes, it does actually stop a bullet. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's a bit sore for the next novel or two, but yeah, um, there's just so much wadded muscle there. That, um... But he doesn't work out. This thing, I, I, in my little intro to the paper, I say he's so anti-modernity that he has this amazing body which is quite a modern thing to have but it's not the product of pilates and going to the gym he's just born with it he just no, he's has born with it and he, he eats you know almost exclusively you know pancakes and, and bacon and hamburgers <laughs> yeah, and black coffee <laughs> and drinks black coffee yeah. um i think the modernity point is one of them because you know when you meet him and in the archetypal position in most of the books is it begins with him Blowing into town somewhere, he just wanders like Thistledown all over America. I think he's he's lost his passport somewhere along the way or never had one, and so he doesn't really travel abroad very much. He just roams America. He's a former military policeman, so he's someone who's outside, you know, all of society's rules and regulations, and he's absolutely minimal. I think the great attraction of him right. and the attraction of the prose in some ways is that it's it's stripped down, as many fellow writers' prose is. But the character itself is a sort of you know, he doesn't want anything. No. He's freed from what Elliot called in the metal paths of appetency and desire. Um, he simply wanders around animated, as far as I can tell, just by curiosity. Um, and he'll kind of cross America from one corner to the other just because it strikes him as like and a nice freedom, idea. I think, because he was in the army for so long where every part of his day was measured that he wants to live in a time where he can just get on a bus and the bus will take him. It's often a bus he travels on, even yes, rather than a train. Yes, bus or he hitchhikes. I mean, yeah. very often, you know, the sort of, you know, or again, the archetypal setup, and it, it, it's a series that moves towards being more archetypal rather than away from it, Yeah, um, is it begins with him thumbing a ride. Yeah. And it ends with him, or, or stepping off a bus, and it ends with him by the side of the road, either about to climb on another bus or thumb another ride. It's like the littlest hobo with extreme violence, as I've thought of it. Um, but he's attractive. I, I read the novels backwards, weirdly, because I, I read the most recent one and then just sort of binge-read them. Lots of people binge-read yeah, them. Yeah, I, 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 I read oddly, the whole thing in a year. But I oddly binge-read them from back to front, which was an interesting experience because you saw all the stuff being whittled away. You know, he starts in a condition... Because as he is... He owns nothing except the clothes that he stands up in, a bank card, yeah. whereas you know he has a bank account with some money in it, presumably military pension or whatever that it is, um, and a folding toothbrush. Yeah, and that's it. He's very keen on the folding toothbrush, presumably because yeah. you know which goes in his top pocket. Yeah, a big, a, a full size toothbrush would sort of you know tie him down. <laughs> um, yeah. And whenever he, his clothes get dirty, he simply goes into a shop, 
buy some new clothes, changes in the changing room, throws the old clothes in the bin. He does this. In but that's why it's that we must be getting to a close in a in a world driven by consumerism, gone mad, and of you know he wouldn't be on Facebook, he wouldn't be on Twitter. This world no, he's we totally all totally off the grid. He's totally off the grid, and that is an American tradition because I was thinking, you know, Emerson wrote that essay about self reliance, and there is an American archetype. The idea of the hitchhiker is very American. The idea of a man the, with no the name, lone gunman drifting into town. Yeah. I mean, he's in a huge. You know, and I think Lee Charles is very conscious about this. I mean, I think he's described him as a paladin. You know, he's a he's an archetype that goes to medieval romance via the the Western. You know, of yeah. this lone do-gooding wonder. And I think there's also you know, another archetype because is the Japanese one of the Ronin, the masterless yeah. samurai. Because and the thing with Reacher is though he lives outside society's rules, he's very very rule governed himself. In fact, there was even a spin-off book called Reacher's Rules, which included all the kind of little rules he had for how you have to sit in a restaurant to avoid being ambushed if gunmen come in through yeah. the door, you know, when you should eat, kick, how you kick should the people's knees. He's very good. He's very good at finding the weaknesses. Don't mess around. Yes, lots of the rules are about, are about fighting. For instance, you know, you always use your elbows because elbows don't break and fists do. Yeah, you know, always hit the, always hit your opponents. You know, say, I'll, I'll count to three and then I'll hit you and then hit them on two. <laughs> yeah. So he fights dirty, he doesn't... He? I think the stripped-downness is one of the attractions because, as you say, in modern life and indeed in most fiction, characters go through life accumulating more baggage and Reacher goes through life doing the opposite. You know, he, he's got less and less and less. And he's attractive in the way that lots of those archetypes are in that he is invulnerable. You know, he, he's got freedom to and freedom from, as I put it in my piece of TLS... You know, both both of us, I believe, sorts because he's freedom from anyone messing with him, yeah. um, because he's built like a brick shit house and incredibly good at violence, and freedom too, and there's nothing him tying him down at all, and he can do what he likes, and so he's got that. I mean, that really basic thing that you know half the audience, you know, would like to be him, and the other half of the audience would like to be sort of swept up in his. Well, that's the, I was going to ask that question: Is he because the people that you name who like him, if you include the two of us. Philip Pullman, Rick Gukowski and Malcolm Gladwell are all gentlemen. Do we feel he's a very male figure? Is he like I was looking at the blurbs, I've got the short story book, and actually there's Patricia Cornwall, Karen Slaughter, Lucy Mangan, the rest are all men. Do you think he's a very male attractive to men or is he attractive to I think and I, he sells so many? I mean lots of women must at be least buying him as well. To, yeah, I mean I I know and I go to just as many women as men who really like really? it. Um and I don't think that is a sort of romantic projection thing if if we're going always oh, a tough man, women are you know, I think it I think women seem to enjoy it for the same reason that men enjoy it, which is the sort of perfect freedom, the character and yeah. and, and certainly the reading data seems to suggest that women as well, it's not a boy's book. Particularly, I mean, I think the sexual politics of Reacher are quite interesting because he does, in some ways, he looks like he's going to conform to that kind of James Bond, love him and leave him kind of character, but he's not—he's not hugely promiscuous. He's—he doesn't take a tumble with any. I mean, his his freedom from con- connections means he's not, you know, romantically connected to anybody. No. But there's no great cruelty or sadism or exploitation no. in the way he is. In fact, his relationship with women is more, you know, now oh, we've got different sex parts, you know, it might be nice to go to bed. But actually the women he likes, he tends to like and respect not because of the way they're built, but because of the way they think and the way they behave and their independence of action. And, and he's kind of, of weirdly a serial monogamous with the women he meets. In yes. that he, he, very, very abbreviated yeah, serial monogamous. But there's one woman in town 
who he's helping at some level, they sleep together, but she is as keen for him to leave town in the end as he is to leave town, generally speaking. Yes. But she, he... she doesn't want him to stay and he's leaving her. They just both say, we've had a lovely time. We've resolved the narrative situation. We've had sex five to ten times. <laughs> we've resolved the narrative situation, yeah. exactly. Uh, right. We've had sex five to ten times and that was lovely. Let's all move on with our lives. Yes, and his he... most re- m- meaningful relationship with a woman in the books is with one of the very, very few recurring characters who sort of actually matters very much, who's this character called Frances Neagley, who's yeah. an old colleague. And Neagley, you know, he adores Neagley because she's a sort of female reacher. She's just as good at snapping necks as he is. You know, he respects her professional, you know, terrifying military acuity. Um, but there's no sexual free song between them. She doesn't even like being touched. Yeah. She's a, you know, she's a sort of non tangri somebody... Me Too's her with a slap on the bottom and they'll end up with their teeth in the back of their head. So it's certainly not a kind of, you know, James Bond-style creepy sexual wish-fulfilment vibe in these novels at all. In fact, sex isn't very important in them, I don't think. And is he doing this consciously? I'm fascinated. I don't know that much about Lee Child, but he's English. He's born in the West Midlands, I think. And he's writing these uber americana books they're so american like i said there's there's a you know emersonian american western american there are in the tradition very american tradition is he doing it consciously and his writing methods i imagine so i i mean i I don't know lee child i've never met him um i've read a little about him but uh, But he writes interesting doesn't it to explain how his writing method these are quite tightly plotted in some senses in that they're quite coherent they're quite pared down yeah they don't leave many i mean i think one of the really attractive things about these novels is you know, which is why they stand out above their genre and indeed above an awful lot of, you know, the bad writing that stands for literary fiction, indeed. is that he doesn't get anything much wrong. The sentences are good, the plots are tight. You know, occasionally there's, there'll be something that's just really downright silly. There's one in which people keep turning up dead in bathtubs covered in camouflage paint and yeah. the explanation for why that's happened is is really silly. But for the most part... They just, they're just they just really well-oiled, well-squared away. They move at exactly the pace they need to. There's something interesting happening exactly as often as it needs to. And I think this is one of the you know, things that's important about the way thrillers work. You, know, you say, like, Dan Brown is somebody who can't write for Toffee, and yet something works about his books because he knows Do how... Do you think that's right? I don't agree with that. I think Dan Brown's a really illustrious... Because I interviewed Dan Brown, and he said he liked books with facts in them. And I was like, well, why don't you read non-fiction books? That's the, but no, no, he likes to read fiction books with facts. And he says with him, you get your greens, your daily greens, but you get a bit of ice cream as well. So you learn that Uber was invented in 2007, but you also get someone falling out of a window being chased by a shadowy uh, Catholic cult. Uh, and they seem to be so written in bad faith, those books, and so completely ill-considerate of anything of value. They're just sort of churned out facts with a with a hokey plot surrounded. But the Lee Child seems to start from the base of something so much simpler. Oh, he does. No, I, the, I was using the comparator only to say that even a writer as bad as Dan Brown can make something work if you pace it right. Yeah, and, that's interesting. You know, I mean, the pacing of those books and the, the speed with which the plot turns around is what, what makes them work. Yeah. Um, but Child not only can pace and plot well, but he writes extremely well and economically he's got this kind of well worked out and attractive character he's and they all sort of slot together in a way that you can read them continuously and there's a sort of arc or or yeah. story going on but you know also as i think they say at the end of each one you know the jack reacher novels can be read in any order yeah. however 
the next one is. Buy them. You know, um, yes, just keep buying them. Just keep buying them. Is it replicable forever then, do you think? Because there's no... I mean, I can't see why he can't go on doing it forever. I mean, I think it... Explain how he writes them. So he writes them... Oh, yes, this is the thing. It, it, I, I'm indebted for this to Andy Martin's book, which said nothing, where he basically kind of slightly stalked Lee Child and sat over his shoulder while he watched, I think it's a red, sorry, the 20th novel, Make Me. I think it's the 20th, and I think it was, was Make Me that he was reading. Um, and to my general astonishment... It turns out that Lee Child will start a novel always on the same day every year. Um, so, you know, he has a rights for an absolute schedule and he sits down with, you know, a million cigarettes and a huge pint of black coffee and starts hammering away at his computer and he has no idea what's going to happen. So it, it, this book in question begins with a guy called Kiva being buried um, in the middle of nowhere by some guys operating a backhoe. That's right. I don't uh, think this is one of the best ones, actually. I don't think this is a particularly strong one. No, it's, a, it's a perfectly OK one. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, quite, it's a pretty good one. Um, but, you know, Andy Martin says, oh, what's going to happen? And Lee Charles says, oh, I don't know. And he hadn't noticed that Kiva was the same size as Reacher or that his name kind of rhymed with Reacher. <laughs> and he just sort of follows along. And this is surprising, I think, because as far as I know, most thriller writers have some sort of idea for who'd done it, yeah. what's been done, um, what's going to be done, how it's going to be uncovered. And Charles seems to feel his way, pretty much. I mean, I know I once heard it said that Agatha Christie used to write her books all the way through and then, at the end, decide who did it and then go back and rewrite them to figure out, you know, to make it possible for that person to have done it. But... She's kind of possible, I suppose. Yes, but, but also it turned out annoyingly to be apocryphal because I've read a biography of Agatha Christie and said, no, she plotted them incredibly carefully. Yeah. There's know? a bit in John Bookham where he talks about in the Richard Hannay novels, which are my favourite, oh, yeah. yeah, one of my favourite sets of novels ever, but they talk about how you solve... Uh, it's in The Three Hostages where, they, where there's an impossible set of clues and they're talking about a thriller writer, how you'd write it. And he says, the point is, you know, the you, you solve these things. The thriller writer has the three killer cl clues at the beginning and then solves the puzzle himself and then writes backwards from that. Which seems to be, oh, obviously, that's, that's how, how it works. But he that doesn't do this way of doing it. But, he, but as you say, these are never whodunits. The other things about them, which is, to bear in mind, is they're not action novels. They contain a great deal of action, a great deal of violence. And the violence set pieces are part of what makes them fun. Um, because... You know, you always Reacher is attacked by, you know, five people, ten people, Run twenty people wielding baseball bats. Yeah. And so I say, ooh, how much are they going to regret it this time? Because he's <laughs> totally indestructible. Yeah. Um, in that respect, he's like Robert B. Parker's character, Spencer, who's another kind of paladin. Yeah. But yeah. they're actually mostly not about action happening forwards. What normally happens, he stumbles into a situation. You know, he's in a small town and sort of trouble finds him. He seldom goes looking for it. It's, it's always that something catches his attention or his curiosity or, or somebody tries to kill him or kidnap him, which happens more often to him than to most tourists. Um, yeah. And then he kind of figures out what's going on and puts an end to it. Yeah. But it's it's very seldom that the plot is proceeding forward. It's normally he's kind of more a detective almost than an There's action There's no hero. suspense, is there? Because in the end, we know who the baddies are generally, uh, and it's just a question of at what point he rumbles who they are and then yes. it brings some ass-kicking justice to them to enable him to move on. It's nothing more complicated than that, is it? I don't think. No, it's pretty much. I, I think. I think not. I mean, quite often the blurbs on the back set up a problem that's resolved in the first thirty pages. Like, Reach has been arrested. Will he go to prison for life? And then, <laughs> sort of, after about thirty pages, it's clear. No, he won't. He'll carry yeah, on. I have to remember the blurbs. Are, you know, the same 
Daily Mail headline principle applies. That if, <laughs> just ignore the question, the answer is what yes, yeah, yeah, I think the question... Let's put him in context then. So you mentioned Marlowe, um, obviously, Raymond Chandler's Marlowe. You mentioned Spence by Robert B. Parker, another one I've read all of his books. Yes. I and think there, are in, about, there are about 30 of them. In the, I think in this respect, I've tasted mine quite closely. Um, I, mean, I think Spence so is a decent comparator because he's another of these characters who endures, who can't quite age in real time. Um, yeah. So just be clear, I so he's a Boston private eye, Spence. He's written by Robert B. Parker, who's now dead. The um, dean of American crime fiction. Less appreciated over here, unfortunately, than in the States. Because he's, he's actually written some very good... Because he's also written some good historical novels, one about uh, Jackie Robinson, which is very good, about the black baseball player. Yeah. But he's... Spencer is this recurring character. He's a new. He's a Boston private eye. He's got a girlfriend who is a... Very annoying like, girlfriend. Very annoying girlfriend. He's got a best mate who's a black guy called Hawk, who the pros absolutely falls in love with it. It, sort of, it. it has these amazing descriptions of his sort of pure body and amazing strength. And it really values strength, doesn't it? That they work out all the time in the same gym. Yes, constantly working out. And the attraction of Spencer, again, is that he's indestructible. Like, you know, which is the odd thing about these novels is that they're enjoyable, even though what, you know, TV producers like to call Jeopardy yeah, is no absent je- in the sense that yeah. nobody's ever going to be able to kill these heroes. They're unkillable. And, you know, Spencer is the toughest guy in Boston, yeah. Um, except Hawk. possibly for, for Hawk, who's yeah. his best friend. Yeah. So, you know, when Spencer meets somebody who may, constitutes even a tiny bit of a threat, he simply drafts in Hawk and the two of them kind of flatten whoever the baddie is. Yeah. Um, but they're similar characters because, you know, you mentioned Marlowe. Parker was very consciously a kind of Chandler copyist. Yeah. I mean, he, he finished one of Chandler's unfinished novels. He yeah. imitated Chandler's style and very dialogue-heavy sardonic kind of dry style and you know Mar- I think Chandler did describe Marlowe as being a paladin and Spencer I mean is always described as being you know sp- spelt with an s to give the yeah. you know, early modern kind of literary resonances um, it makes occasional references to the fairy queen and things like that oh it does it, it does yeah. and, it's, and it's he literate isn't it and he has a lot you know he's very often you know, he'll he will say in a kind of deadpan way. You know, my strength is as of ten men because my heart is pure. Yeah. And so we, you know, we just like that archetype, that kind of, you know, absolutely rule based, absolutely indestructible, imperturbable, unweighdownable, totally free yet totally good. And the Jeopardy is an interesting question because a lot of thrillers are based around Jeopardy, as you say. But I find I read a lot of thrillers. I think probably more than is good for me. When there's genuine jeopardy, you kind of half know it's going to resolve itself. So there's always it's always slightly tainted. And then secondly, I find you speed up your reading because you need to get to the bit where that jeopardy is resolved in one way or another. So actually the enjoyment of reading pages 50 to, say, 250 is reduced because you speed up and up and up and up. There's a sort of telltale compression of pages, as Jane Austen puts it. You know, quick, 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 ah, I get to the end. Whereas with Reach It, it slows you down. And Spencer, I think, it's the same. You know that there's no jeopardy. And so actually you can just enjoy the journey more because you're not constantly hunting for the end. Do you think there's there's no puzzle-solving? You know, puzzle-solving novels, you're constantly... Looking yes, ahead look to it. I think, I mean, I think that we're maybe underselling the extent to which the plot draws you forward in these things. I mean, they're not completely zen. You do normally have, even if you're fairly confident he's going to resolve it, you're not always certain how. Um, so, you know, the sort of jeopardy is present, but of course with series characters, the jeopardy is never quite existential because, you know, you're, you can be fairly confident 
however many novels into the series, that he's not going to kill off Reacher. No, I hope he doesn't. No, me neither. <laughs> I've realized... then, then I'd have to start reading literature. Yeah. <laughs> who else do you read like this then? Before we get just to the, the end of um... who else in the series? Because I, I always mention, I mentioned this to you before, John D. Macdonald, the. The Travis, Travis McGee yeah. novels, which people don't know them, they are, there's 30 of them probably, they each have a colour in the title and they're about a Florida beach bum who has this amazing boat and he's taking his retirement one chunk at a time, so every time he runs out of money, he saves someone and takes a cut of the money he recovers on their behalf and he, his his sidekick, which is completely different to Hawk, is Mayer an economist who has whose boat is called the J. Maynard Keynes <laughs> Is it, is it, is, um, the protagonist, his, his boat's called the Busted Flush. The Busted it? Flush, because yeah, he, won it, in a poker, poker he won it in a poker game. But again, these are books that are, they're joyous to read. It's because they're written in the 60s. There's a tiny hint of Bondian misogyny, which isn't pronounced that much. But often when you read, I mean, I read a lot of James Bond again recently, and it, I didn't really enjoy it. It weren't particularly well plotted, weren't particularly interesting. Once you got past the existence of the character, they weren't that fun. Are you a Bond fan? Uh, ish. But not. Which I like the movies. Yeah, the um, book. Yeah, I, I thought the books were going to be better than the movie. Anyway, so Travis McGee, yeah. they're very good. John D. McDonald. Um, I like Carl Harson, who's a kind of John I, D. McDonald descendant. Yeah, I know this is where we differ. Because, well, I read uh, it again. I read double. I read Double Whammy again after our last conversation. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it for me. I, it was. It was well enough written. Of course, his brother very sadly died in that shooting. And did you see that? I saw that. Yes. Astonishing. Um, and he was very. He was, he was obviously very. Um, he was very strong on it. It was beautiful to read. But no, I, I found him. I it was too funny. Yeah, it was two, yeah, yeah, it was two attempts to be jocular. I tell you yeah, what, I'll start. I like, um, Jim Thompson, who I think is very funny, though not jocular at all. That's dark, isn't it? Yeah. And he was the fifth. Was he fifties? Yeah, I think yeah, fifties. What roughly, did he write? What was, what was his fifties? Um, well, the film he wrote a novel or novella that was made into the Grifters, mm. um, and there's the Devil Inside Me and Pop thirteen twenty or something. Which I mean, is the, the one with the serial killing policeman. Ah, uh, yes. I can't remember what that one's called. I think that might be the population. One and that was made into a movie, called. wasn't it? It's yeah, pretty... they're all very sort of they're slightly dark, off the level in the sense that, you know, it appears to be doing something a bit realistic, but actually there's almost a kind of descent into hell in some of them. There's very... a bit of American Psycho, even, the one I was thinking yeah. of, because it was putting you in the mind of someone who, at one level, is attractive in the sense of he's in yes. control, but then he ends up... Is that the killer inside me? I've, that is the killer inside me. I've I think read. That, yeah, that's why I said the devil killer... inside me. The killer inside me, yeah. Yeah, I think that possibly is that um, one. i tell you what I started reading, but I'm not sure I'm going to bother with all because there's hundreds of them. The 87th Precinct novels of Ed McBain. Have you heard of him? Oh, yes. Who, who, yeah, yeah. Evan Hunter, as he's... Yeah, and he wrote, what film, he wrote a film that was fairly successful, I think. But any, uh, oh, yes, a very very famous film was it? The Birds might have been the Birds. It might have been the Birds. Yeah, um, but uh, and that's a police procedural. Yes, eighty seventh precinct, and there's hundreds of them. Have hundreds read... and hundreds, and uh, yeah, I've read a bunch. Um, they're quite good. I think they're good. Yeah, I and mean, they feel a bit dated now. But he's, he's. I saw him recently interviewed, and somebody, I think they had a whole thing where somebody had spoken relatively. Said, you know, you're. So you've written this novel about. The police, and he said, I, I, I think I am the preeminent police procedural writer in really? the English language. I think you'll find. And so he's untroubled by low self esteem, that man. Um, right. Joseph Wambo, have you ever read him? He did The Choir Boys, which oh, is again yeah, no, another police think... procedural. And then there's maybe inheritor of all of that, which is a slightly more populist, is Don Winslow, uh, who wrote The Cartel uh, books about Mexican crime, which are just absurdly yes. violent and brilliant, I think. And he and wrote, are we allowed to stick Damon Runyon in there? Yeah, I Maybe think he's so. A, he's a sort of crime novelist. Yeah, I think that's a crime yeah. short story writer. Are we um, allowed James Elroy? 
Oh, yes, we have to have James Elroy. James Elroy is um, possibly my favourite novelist ever. Yes. I read American Tabloid. I've read that in the double figures and called 6,000. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Why are we attracted to these things? In some? Let's just leave it on this. Why are we? So American Tabloid is about bad people, but they're kind of charming. They're super violent. But they have a... Is there a simplicity that we're craving? Is there a narrative resolution that we seek? There's, there's some of the... You know, seeing justice done to the unrighteous is always fun. And I think something about the rule-based, structured world of crime and thriller. Yeah. You know, that you know that there's going to be sort of action and reaction and somebody's going to end up, you know, at the bottom of the sea. And probably the bad guy. And probably the bad guy. And they might complicate Unless you. Unless it's the, Jim Thompson. <laughs> yeah, they might complicate you, that is. But even then, you kind of know, don't you? I think it's about certainty. I think it is about in increasingly uncertain times. Well, they've always been uncertain. Like Real life is uncertain and messy and full of dead ends and, and, and all of that. And these books never are. Yes, let people write literary novels about real life. We can have, you know, as Peter Rourke said of Harrison, you know, this is better than literature. Better than literature. <laughs> is Lee Child better than literature? Yes. I think so. Yes. Let's leave it there. Uh, Sam Lee, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.